I figure it's important that if we're going to move forward on this question of God's existence, that we take a look at different perspectives. And of course, your comments and questions are also important to me because after all, this is a conversation. For me, there's no getting around the logic of a moral framework existing outside of humanity. This concept of natural law that we've been talking about, that governs all of life, which safeguards all of life. And that if we're going to assume a natural moral law, then logically something or someone put it there. A moral framework cannot be built on its own. It doesn't come from nothing. I think one of the main issues in the pursuit of truth on this issue of God is religion. What we tend to do is we see these two things as linked, but I see them as separate. One gives way to the other. The problem is that when we approach this question, we tend to look at it through the eyes of religion. In other words, religion defines God instead of God defining religion. But if we assume that, then what we're saying is that religion created God. And if that's true, then I would agree that God is just an illusion. What do you do in a world where there's an estimated 4,000 different religions? And that's just an estimate. There's even an ongoing debate on whether atheism can be um, or should be categorized as a religion. All religion requires is an organized belief system. That's it. Atheism is simply the belief in the absence of belief. Or more specifically, the absence of belief in God or any type of supernatural deity. Now, interestingly though, the ancient Romans used this exact word, atheos, the Greek word for atheist, as a way to identify the Christians. That just fascinates me if you look at history. In the eyes of the Romans, anyone that did not believe in their gods were categorized as atheist. The word or concept of atheism has itself evolved over time. The point being that even the absence of belief can itself be considered a belief system. And since there are organized groups of atheists, one could say that they reflect the same structure system of any other religion at its most basic form. One of the most interesting and certainly entertaining documentaries I've seen on the subject of religion uh, has to be Bill Maher's Religious. And no, he's not an expert in the field of world religions. But in the search for truth, we must be willing to listen to all sides. He may not be a um, an expert, but he's a spectator on the question. And while no doubt he certainly injects some of his own wit from the perspective of comedy in poking fun at the establishment of religious systems and beliefs, at least for me, it offers a raw and genuine look at how obviously ridiculous religion can actually be. I actually agree with the guy. In fact, I think it's sometimes downright hilarious what he brings out. 
And, you know, the documentary reveals how much religion can dictate how we look at the concept or reality of God instead of looking at God without the lenses of dogma and religion. And, and you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not writing, I'm not writing religion off, nor am I saying that religion is irrelevant for those of you who are religious. What I'm saying is that if we are to look at the question of God, like we're doing, and his existence honestly, then we must attempt to view it as objectively as possible. And that religion is a byproduct of what is already there. That being said, religion can and has gotten it wrong on a lot of things. So on the question of what is truth, we cannot allow the question to be skewed into which religion is right. I'm not interested in that. That's ridiculous. It, I, I think that 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 almost is a waste of time. It's rather, what does, what does principle and fact tell us about God? I don't care what religion says. Science is not able to disprove God. In fact, the discoveries science has made about the nature of the universe only serve as more evidence of a greater force at work. Uh, take, for instance, uh, John Lennox, a brilliant mathematician and scientific philosopher. And he asks this question. Is there any scientific evidence for the involvement of intelligence in the origin of nature and its laws of operation? Certainly, those scientists who argue on the basis of their science that atheism is the only intellectually respectable position scarcely have grounds to object to others using scientific evidence to support the opposing metaphysical position of theism. Science takes hold of the axiom, only what can be known by science or quantified and empirically tested is rational and true. That's an axiom that science holds to. But how can science, by its own method or proof, test this statement to be true? For this statement to be undeniable, then we must first assume that science can test everything that can be known, everything that has the possibility of being known. There's no way to quantify this statement. Certainly science can say, no one has seen God. How then can he exist? That's logical enough. But what about gravity? What about certain magnetic fields? Can the magnetic wave or gra of, of gravity or, magne or, or, or magnetic fields themselves be seen? We can certainly see its effects. What we actually ob observe in gravity is its effect on living things. But who has actually observed or seen gravity itself? And yet, scientifically, we know it's there. Another... Uh, noted scientist J.P. Morden states, the aims, methodologies, and presuppositions of science cannot be validated by science. To attempt to have science validate itself is tantamount to pulling oneself up by one's own bootstraps. <laughs> Bill Maher has always been an interesting character to me. I, I don't always agree with him, and he can certainly be crude, but all that aside, what I find fascinating about him is 
all of the time he spends talking about God on his show Real Time. He's a self-proclaimed atheist, and he's unapologetic about it. And I actually respect that. He's consistent. While, while his show is more focused on day-to-day events and politics, a lot of his subject matter seems to go around or specifically ridicule religion um, or, 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 or to ridicule the religious or God himself. So my question is, why? <laughs> For a being that does not exist, God sure seems to get a lot of airtime on his show. And he sure elicits quite the emotional response from Bill. But all of this from a person that is make-believe? If he isn't there, then why talk about him at all? I certainly wouldn't waste my time on something that isn't there, that doesn't exist. But Bill does. Uh, I encourage you to take the time to watch his documentary, Religious. His premise begins with, My big thing is, I don't know. I preach the gospel of I don't know. And that's honest. I I actually respect that. In fact, isn't the admission, I don't know, the beginning of wisdom? And I'm sure many of you would say the same thing. I don't know. Think about someone like Socrates. What does he say? The only true knowledge is in knowing you know nothing. And that's a great place to start. I don't know is the beginning of wisdom. A clean and clear canvas, starting from a point that assumes nothing, but just takes a look at what's already there. And what's interesting about this documentary is, from what I see, is that God himself is not the one being put on trial. It's really religion that's being put on trial, and with good reason. Since the evidence that Bill presents comes from how men, how human beings have or continue to view God through the eyes of tradition, and most of the time blindly, more than once, uh, Bill has to be the one to use the very words of the Bible to contest the statements made by the ministers and priests he interviews, and also to challenge them by how they live their own lives. And so any true inquirer is going to look at the body of evidence, as I do, and say, Bill has a point, and he does. What do you do with ministers who, or pastors who take advantage of their congregations who will blindly give of their hard-earned money only to find that some of these so-called ministers live in multi-million dollar homes, drive and own luxury cars, while others even have private jets that they use for pleasure trips and even worse on the church's dime? When anyone takes a hard look at this, how are they supposed to respond? I know, I know how I respond. Religion is a joke in this context. And I can't blame Bill for laughing. I can't blame him for ridiculing. In fact, I laugh with him. How can anyone claim belief in any religion that takes advantage of the innocent? Let's look at the more mundane aspects of religion, though. 
Those preachers who come out on stage and on television and start talking in gibberish, for instance, or who with one big giant wave of his arm strike the air in front of them, causing anyone standing there to fall back, begin to convulse, and then claim to be completely healed of their sickness. Or let's take scholars of religion, the educated, the ones who are in the know. You would think that the issue of design or creation is settled, or what the nature of God is, what happens when you die, etc. Bill interviews uh, Father George Coyne, a PhD who's not educated in divinity, but uh, or not just in divinity, but also as a scientist. At the time uh, that he interviewed him, he was working for the Vatican Observatory, and uh, he comments. Uh, George Coyne comments that if someone believes in a 5,000 or 6,000 year history of Earth, that as a scientist, one cannot accept that. And he then goes on to say that uh, Pope John II acknowledged in his own writings that that Darwinian evolution is no longer mere hypothesis. So, if you're religious, or more specifically Catholic, how does one reconcile the head of the church making such a statement with the biblical concept of creation. In essence, such a statement d- discredits religion even more. Now, I know that this all sounds like I'm generalizing, but I'm simply wanting to take a look at it from the perspective of a skeptic. Assuming that God does exist, there is certainly a lot he has to answer for from this perspective. Or does he? Religion certainly has a lot to answer for. Let's look at it for what it is. And again, let's take the principles of natural law. The fact that all men are created equal and are given the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to express oneself freely through his or her religion, political affiliation, faith, beliefs, whatever. Uh, And to do it without fear of being imprisoned persecuted or killed. There is a respect for life and human dignity in this natural law. So, if we are to make these principles, these self-evident truths, as righteous and true, then they must also be the virtues of the Creator God and His character, since all of this is based on the fact that we're created equal. So as we observe religion at work within history and culture and in our time, does religion reflect these principles? Religion, as with science, has a line of progression in terms of the development of certain concepts and ideas. It also brings with it the biases of place, time, and culture. 
so that religion, while rooted in certain principles of natural law, has by the laws and traditions of men been altered and abused for the sake of a few at the expense of the many. The three most dominant religions all have a common root in history. So, take Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And all claim to come from Abraham. Judaism comes first at around the year 1500 BC. And Christianity next about 100 BC and Islam at around 600 BC. All three of these religions agree on the creation of the world. All three recognize the ancient Jewish prophets and what we know as the Old Testament writings of the Bible. It's what comes after that begins to distinguish them and the direction each begins to take. We can take the exhaustive approach, of course, and um, look at all 4,000 plus religions, but there's no point in doing that. From the perspective and scope of world influence, how relevant each religion has been in the role of history and the shaping of world events, it's no doubt that these three are the most prominent. The statistics shown uh, in a Pew Research study that was done in April 2017 reveal the total numbers of the world population that make up each religious group as of the year 2015. And the study um, shows that Christians are the largest religious group at about 31.2%. Uh, and this is of the whole world population. And then you take Muslims, they're at 24.1%. Hindus are about 15.1%. And surprisingly, you take Jews and they're about 0.2% of the world population. And in terms of numbers, um, Christians uh, are at about 2.3 billion, Muslims 1.8 billion, and growing, by the way. And then there's also a category of unaffiliated, that's 1.2 million. Hindus are at 1.1 million, Buddhists... Uh, at 0.5 million, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now, in terms of numbers, Judaism has seen the greatest change in landscape in the way it has shrunk in size. The interesting finding of this study was that the third most influential group in the world is that of the unaffiliated, which includes atheists, agnostics, and those who do not identify with a specific religious group. Now, out of about 6.9 billion inhabitants of the planet, 84% believe in a deity, a higher power, um, and, and they belong to some type of religious system or belief. The remaining 16%, one of the fastest growing groups, are those who identify as atheist or agnostic. It's fascinating. And the reasons for the shift are because of the very reasons and questions brought up by Bill Maher in his documentary. But among all of these numbers and religions, does majority win? Does the sheer size and consensus determine what's true? Now, going back to uh, George Coyne, Father Coyne, our Vatican astronomer, he makes the point that, the, that while the Bible was written over the span of about 2,200 years, 
about 2,000 years before Christ, and 200 years after Christ, what is referred to as modern science, spans, he argues, the time of Galileo, the late 16th century, to Einstein, the early 20th century. So modern science spans about 400 plus years. He, his question then is, how in the world could there be any science in Scripture? There cannot be, he says. And he goes on to say, it's very hard for me to accept a fundamentalist approach to religious belief. It's kind of a plague. <laughs> now, the logic here is a bit incoherent to me in this respect. He, he's arguing that we cannot take the Bible literally because it is separated by about 1,300 or so years from the age of modern science. In essence, what he's saying is that the weight of all of knowledge rests in the small period of time between the late 1500s and the early 1900s. While there is certainly a great move forward in terms of scientific discovery and innovation and invention, how can the weight of all human knowledge and human progress be placed on only 400 years? While I do agree that religious fundamentalism doesn't lead uh, or, or does lead, rather, to a fanatical and extremist view and to fanatical and extremist actions, can we learn nothing about our existence and our natural world from the Bible? It's easy to see the Bible as a religious book, but is it more? Is it about our origins, our story, God's story, and does it contribute at all to the question of natural law, truth, and the meaning of life? friend, Father Coyne, um, Coyne stipulates that there cannot be any science in Scripture. So let's look at the facts. Does it have anything to say about nature and what we all consider to be common knowledge? Let's use a familiar euphemism, the flat earthers. And this term today is used to refer to the fundamentalists and anti-science crowd. But at one time, it was the common misconception that the earth was flat. But if one reads from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, and you look at it in chapter 40, verse 22, there it states, It is he that sits upon the circle of the earth. Okay. Now this comes straight from the Hebrew prophets. Isaiah seems to have an understanding of the shape of the earth. Not flat, but a circle. Certainly this could not be known at, the, at this time in history because, you know, these were, uh, this was pre-science. But there it is. And let's take a look at mathematics. 
Genesis chapter 6 tells us the story of Noah and the ark, which a lot of people, even Christians nowadays are saying, eh, don't know if I believe in that story, but let's, let for argument's sake, let's just take it as it is. So, uh, the, sto- the story of Noah and the ark. There are exact measurements and precise dimensions given for the building of the ark in this narrative. Okay, this is Genesis chapter 6. In fact, one can see a replica of this ark in Williamstown, Kentucky. The ark spans 510 feet long, 85 feet wide, and 51 feet high. Now, this is curious to me. According to Lloyd's Register of Shipping in the World Almanac, by 1900, every large ship used this model of the ark proportions for its building. Now, whether the story is real or not, I'm not arguing at the moment. But it's pretty impressive that the engineering of shipbuilding would hold up to a, to a standard and be taken from this story. Fake or real? Who cares? The fact of the matter is it has had an effect on the engineering of ships. So what do we do with these facts and, the, and this evidence? And there's more, by the way. This is, these are just a few. Do we, by our more modern knowledge, disregard this? Now, it would seem that Father Coyne's statement is incorrect, yet he stipulates that we must stick to the facts. Does knowledge and truth belong only to one time period in history? Even today's engineers marvel at the mathematical um, ingenuity and the Ex, uh, uh, and the expertise in engineering of the pyramids in Egypt. Many can't even explain how they were built. So, is the word ancient equivalent to non-intelligent? That really is an arrogant conclusion. Now, of course, when it comes to the rituals and dogmas of religion, I can see... Uh, where Bill is skeptical. And he asks many believers about certain traditions and about practices of religion like praying to saints, the bread and wine at Mass, actually transforming into the actual blood uh, blood and body of Jesus, the Immaculate Conception, or even Popes. In other words, all of the pomp and circumstance with which religion dresses itself. And he asks, aren't you bothered by these practices of religion not having any basis in the Bible itself? Now, is Bill now becoming a theologian? Because he's right. That's a darn good question. Aren't you bothered that these tenets of Christianity didn't come from the founders, but from the men of the church throughout history? Now, looking at it from Bill's perspective, because that's his question. These are his questions. So looking at it from his perspective, absolutely I'm bothered by it. And it does matter. How can we find truth in the midst of so much minutia that has no basis in fact, but simply blind tradition? One chaplain that he questions in the documentary answers, it's a faith thing. Okay. To which Bill replies, 
But why is faith good? Again, these are awesome questions. Why is believing something without evidence good? Again, another question asked by Bill. It's a legitimate question. In any given situation, in a court of law, in science itself, evidence is key. The burden of proof is on those who claim that there is such a being called God. How do we reconcile what is presented to us as miraculous? Like creation, intelligent design, our existence. If we are to see life as a product of intentional creation, and that we are created equal, having inalienable rights, and that morality is part of the natural law, which is itself a product of creation by a lawgiver? That's a lot. The fact is, we cannot allow bias or prejudice to determine the answers. Truth must be allowed to reveal what is already there. And I can understand that any Bible-believing Christian or religious person would watch this documentary and no doubt be offended by Bill's approach, which tends to be accusatory and mocks those who would adhere to such nonsensical beliefs. But I say, let's stop with this being offended thing. Can't we talk to one another and ask these really good questions? Because I'll be honest, when I first watched the documentary, I laughed. And it was hysterical. And yeah, sure, there were some things that Bill said that were like, okay, come on, dude, you don't have to get, you know, so confrontational uh, or passive aggressive. You know, that, but that's just Bill's style. But instead of reacting with, you know what, I'm turning this off. It's offensive. Stop with that. If we're going to be honest and approach any given subject or topic with honesty, we have to learn to listen. Listening. It's simple. You'd think it was simple. But these days, listening has become a lost art. So if God exists, can religion answer these questions? Or is religion the problem? Well, Bill expresses something to a group of Christians as he's engaging them in conversation. On the issue of faith, he says, quote, I think that being without faith is something that is a luxury for people who are fortunate enough to have a fortunate life. You know, you go to prison, you go, you go hear a guy say, you know, buddy, I got nothing but Jesus in here. I completely understand that. But if you're in a foxhole, you know, uh, you probably have a lot of faith. So the question I have then is faith in God, in the mysterious, the unknown, relevant only in the reality of the destitute? Because the way Bill puts it is, you know, if you're in a foxhole, I get it. You need a lot of Jesus in there. If you're in prison, I get it. I understand having faith there. But if you're rich and got it all and educated. So again, is faith in God, in the mysterious, in the unknown, relevant only in the reality of the destitute. And if that is so, then are they delusional or are the so-called intellectuals, the educated, those fortunate enough to have a fortunate life, who are living their dreams, successful, wealthy, those with position or authority, the ones who are missing out? Because towards the end of the documentary, Bill points out that with so much bigotry, human agendas, destruction, corruption, that the only thing we can hope for 
is humanity to shed the oppression of religion. But with all of the advances of mankind just in the last hundred plus years in science and, 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 and also in technology, why haven't things gotten better? That would be my counter question to Bill. Well, he, he would say, well, we haven't gotten rid of religion yet. Okay. But what is the moral anchor that we can all point to and say, this is the way out. There is a better way, and it's over here. This is it. Because again, I agree with Bill. It's an incredibly depressing record. And if God exists, is he the answer? We have to keep looking. The truth is already there. We just have to search and keep on searching. Thank you.